welcome to the Physics Teaching Podcast, a podcast for teachers of physics, made by physics teachers. Physics teachers like me, uh, Robin Griffiths, a sort of full-time-ish teacher of physics from years 10 to 12, I think, at the moment. And physics teachers like me, Thomas W.P., a part-time, A-level only teacher of physics. How has your month been, Robin? Uh, my month has been busy and ridiculously busy. And this thing, so I'm, I'm doing this brand, well, let's say brand new job. I've been doing it a year now, but uh, being head of sixth form just introduces a huge amount of noise into my life. So my physics is kind of almost this bit that happens in a corner through certain lessons of the week. I still manage to teach more than you do, I think, but, you know, just... <laughs> <laughs> yes, Matt sort of... has taken on the other half of the upper six. I'm down to two half of two classes this year, but you know I'm I'm approaching retirement. And that's fine. I, I felt sure. we should do it at the, the top of the, the show. Uh, the top, you see the, the right terminology there. We should do ways to contact us because I think that's when when all the pros do it. So. If anyone wants to come on the podcast or share a brilliant idea with us or anything uh, or abuse it, please don't abuse us, please contact us. And the ways to contact us are these. You can email us, contact at thephysicsteachingpodcast.com. I'm still laughing at the pros bit, uh, but you can get us on Twitter as well, at physicstp. Instagram, physics underscore teaching underscore podcast. And there's a contact form on every page of the website, which we didn't say last time, which is the.physicsteachingpodcast.com. It is indeed still there. And the whole of the back catalogue there, of course, as well, which is it's rather lovely. And it still gets dipped into, doesn't it? It does get dipped into. And the website has had a, a, a visual overhaul. I think it looks a lot better now. And we're, we're still back. Here we are. And we are bringing back our questioner from last week, who's just started teaching. But before we do that, physics in the news yes have you seen the incredible oh it's always space isn't it but have you seen the incredible dart mission this week i've seen the incredible dart mission i loved it the the this photos were like nothing else i'd ever seen before this dot that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then the screen goes fuzzy as it crashes into it it was all very hollywood i thought it was and today they released two pictures taken of it by hubble and james webb it was filmed in real time by those two telescopes as well so it's just extraordinary the other thing i don't know if you remember the physics a level spec that we used to teach together used to have a lovely question in it about this and it was the best way to divert an asteroid that's heading for earth i don't know if you remember this and they were saying should you smash it with a nuclear weapon or should you go up there and put a little machine that has a bucket on it that throws (laughs) buckets of sand off the edge yes Yes. bit by bit and of course it's the bucket of sand is the answer because you get this little bit of sideways momentum a little bit of sideways reaction force every time you throw a bucket of sand over the edge and that's enough over hundreds of thousands of kilometers to divert it the fraction of a degree off course that it needs to make it miss the earth yeah i read one i'm not sure it was a question but it was an analysis of Bruce Willis and the energy that it took to stop the shuttle so they could land on the asteroid was 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 enough to divert the asteroid if they just ploughed the shuttle into it all that distance from Earth rather than putting the stupid nuclear bomb in it. Anyway, we digress. Let's get back. Let's. We did a whole episode once on how bad Armageddon was as a film. I think. <laughs> well, I think it came up in our bad movie physics episode in the back catalogue. So we we do digress. Let, let's get on with today's subject, which is we are back in touch with Ruth Chesman, who had initially contacted us to say that she is starting off and a bit nervous because 
She wants to know, or she wants some tips on, on starting off with able physics, which we did in last week's episode, if you've missed that. And then she very kindly came on with us and we had a chat about how she's been getting on. And let's play into that. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, Ruth Chesman. Welcome. Can you just tell the dear listener a little bit about yourself again? Hi there. Um, so I'm an ECT, just qualified um, in secondary science, mainly in physics, but having done quite a lot of biology and chemistry, it's part of my training year. And I've jumped ship straight away into sixth form college, teaching just A-level physics part time. And it was you who asked us the question last month. And I, I'm not quite sure how well we answered your questions on pedagogy, pedagogy, but uh, we did have a go. I uh, hope that was helpful. But you've come back to tell us how you're getting on and uh, hopefully we can and help you out. So welcome back. How's it gone? Um, it's been really, really lovely. The The biggest thing I found is that they're eager, they're excited. The very first lesson I did, I did a, a smorgasbord of practical activities. So I did the magic, the mystery tube, which I got from your podcast that I listened to beginning of last year. Um, I did puppets where you kind of like, you turn them inside out and you throw them on the floor and they bounce higher than they started from. And I did hydro balls, looking at the optics and having a look, look at refractive index of things and electro lycra, which I learned from Helen Pollard about you it's material you stretch it and it changes its resistivity yes i asked you about that on twitter i I think you need to just tell me a little bit more about that you you pull on it and the resistance goes up and then as you pull on it more the resistance goes down and i've been yes trying to work this out having never held a bit so is do do we have an explanation for that I don't I've got a theory, but I don't know how much of a theory. And in the fact, it's a three-dimensional weave. And so some of the threads that are kind of across the material, as you stretch it up, they then line up. And so they then provide a flow for the electrons to go through as well. So you're actually increasing the surface area as it stretches more. That's my theory. I might... If people might out there correct me completely, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds highly plausible. That's kind of what I was hoping you'd say, because I was racking my brain just how could this possibly be? I'm just on Amazon ordering all this stuff. It sounds great. <laughs> Which is basically what I did. I wanted to go in kind of a bit of a whiz bang on that very first one and get really excited about asking questions. And I said to them as well, I said, you don't need to know the answers. It's about asking questions. It's about being curious. It's about sort of having the awe and, and, and also that you, you might not know the answers, but what questions can you ask and what tests could you do to get more information? So can I put you on the spot and say if you and, and Thomas has got me into trouble for this before, but if you if you had to take three things to a desert island with a group of physics A levels, this is getting very tenuous, but you get the point. What 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 are the three things that you'd say those really landed well, those really prompted a great discussion? The 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 mystery tube, definitely the mystery tube, because you could see you could actually physically feel the thinking, and they would and I asked them to come up with a hypothesis and test it, and then go back and correct their designs, and it, that that sort of process of working through things. So a number of different kinds of mystery tubes with different configurations would, would be good. Yes, and anything that you can throw up in the air and throw around. Anything that can be thrown around, particularly by students, I'm guessing. Yeah. And with velocity, you know, with like light gates and things. I liked your poppers, actually, because I've used poppers before, the, the little things you turn inside out and then they, they jump. But yeah. I like the, the idea of having a lot of them, scattering them on the floor and then saying, OK, because that'll work for radioactivity as well, of course, won't it, as well? So nice random. Yeah, the random. Well, that was um, I got that from the lovely friend of the podcast, James DeWinter. So um, that's where I got that from. 
Yes, I like the idea there of you just drop them on the floor and they jump higher than you drop them from. That's really just the so simple, but really would get you thinking on the first lesson. Now, going back to what we said last month, have you found that they really don't know anything and they've that you've gone in really gently with them and they've, or are they, have they come in really, really clued up? I'd say it's a real mixture. I'd say there's some who are really strong and really confident and obviously spent the summer reading up all the kind of getting ready for A-level physics material. And there's some who really struggled to remember what they'd done at GCSE. A mixed bag. Yeah, so actually the kind of the, the range, a real mixed bag, yes. I, I'd, I'd say I've had the same. They, they, I've got 18 in my lower sixth, seven girls. Woo-hoo. And... Well done. I, they've come in. They they seem quite confident, but I've gone in very, 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 very gently, uh, and that eased them in. I did my classic weighing a meter ruler using a hundred gram mass experiment this week and taught them how to do uncertainties. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, which is which is one of the questions that I had for now is because I'm not familiar with teaching the A level curriculum, and I had to sort of take previous teachers schemes of work and I took material from two different teachers and kind of tried to mix it together into into our timetable what I think we've done is we've kind of skimmed over uncertainties of probably a bit too quickly and then given them an assessment on it and they're all a bit thrown so I really wish that I'd taken a lot longer and a lot more time kind of practically and kind of really understanding so all the nuances it's of it. very uncertain, isn't it? Uncertainties. <laughs> I've, I've found Oof. Isaac's got some good uncertainty stuff that I've given them to, to follow up on. But I do like to spend, I mean, I'm really lucky this year, I've got a double with them. Uh, and I spent the whole double and in fact, another lesson just weighing a meter ruler using a hundred gram mass. So you can imagine how you do it. You, you balance on the edge of the table and all you measure is the distance from the end of the ruler to where the mass is and the distance from the end of the ruler to where the pivot is and then i get do a results table and i have to always have this thing with them you must always leave more columns than you think for your results table and i get them to draw a results table with two columns in it for the two distances and then by the end of the lesson they've drawn four more columns and you you find the ones that ignored you when you said remember there will be more columns but you end up plotting a graph it's a lovely experiment it works really really super well because none of them the gradient of their graph is always a straight line it's never the the, the mass of their ruler but within the uncertainty of the using the error bars, it's always the mass of their ruler. So it's really instructive. And I try and do it really well so they know what it looks like when it's done well. And I'll put the PowerPoint on the show notes. Yeah, that I wish I'd kind of seen how to do that, as it were, rather than just kind of going in, going, oh, uncertainties, and then doing a whole lesson on it. What I did do today, we're, we're doing the um, uh, free fall under, with, under gravity next week. So today I introduce them to light gates and measuring and get them to think about what they need to measure and what the uncertainties are with what they were measuring kind of before we did that next week. I was teaching uh, electricity with year 12 and starting and thinking about the uncertainties. And we had um, we were talking about charge, current, voltage. And I spent quite a bit of time to start off really trying to prompt them to think a little bit more deeply about what they might understand or not understand about current voltage and resistance and just got them to do a very very simple basic about as basic as i could make it a practical uh, measuring voltage along a length of nichrome wire um, so literally they, they were just plotting voltage against length 
Uh, and so, so basic and so, so simple, and prompting them to think about what that meant in terms of energy per unit of charge, what's happening to the current, so the current's not changing, and that they, they had to think quite deeply. And then I got them to plot the, the, the graph and then talking them through the uncertainties from there. Because of the, the measurement process, they were so, if you like, the, the practical seems so basic to them. I think it, it helped them to, to think a little bit about errors and uncertainties and prompting them to say, okay, you know, you're measuring the length of the wire. What do you think? You know, and they were saying, oh, yes, well, it measures to the nearest half a millimetre. I was like, really? You know, the wire's just sort of held there. It, it wobbles around. And, of course, you've, you, where are you measuring the zero from? Is there any uncertainty in that? All these sorts of things. And it was, it was just a really nice kind of way of getting them to start thinking like physics A-level students. And when I do that, my uncertainty I do if I start with electricity is I give them each a four-ohm resistor. Obviously, they don't know what it is, and a multimeter and two leads and get them to label their own little resistor and put them in groups if there's a big group and then they measure their resistance of their resistor and then they pass them round so they each measure the resistance of all the others and of course they get completely different values so then they say well, so then you start thinking well where's that mistake is that in the is that in the resistors different is it the meters different and then when they think they've worked it out, they think it's that maybe the resistors and the meters are different because the, the resistors all look the same, but they come out different. And I say, well, you know, have you thought about the leads? Because if they just connect the leads, because you know, the lead's about an ohm, isn't it? So it's a really nice thing about, oh, we've got zero area as well. <laughs> but that will take two, again, that will take two lessons to do that. It's a slow process. Um, but I think it's worth doing because it, it's just getting them to think all the time about, it's everything so uncertain. It's thinking critically, isn't it? I think listen to you talking about it and about how you spend like a long time and really getting to think about it. My thoughts are, I think in my inexperience, I'm too scared maybe to kind of spend that time because I don't feel confident enough in myself and it's much easier to kind of just whiz through it and say, right, I've done it now, move on. And that's not fair on them. There is that tendency, isn't it? You know, I've got to get through the content. I've got to get through the content. And certainly with experience, you realise how quickly you can get through the content if you're if you're pressed. But now I feel, you know, with the experience is not the time to do that. Now it's time to make them feel that physics is possible and go through it very gently. I mean, I for, with the upper sixth, I'm going to do Boyle's Law next week in half a lesson because they've got some maths challenge. But honestly, you could do all three gas laws in half an hour if you wanted to. So you can go super fast at the end. I think at the start, making them realise physics is possible is really important to me. <laughs> well, I was just musing actually about the you know, the start that, that I've made with mine. And I'm being very slow and very careful and very gentle with them because I don't want them to get freaked out and don't want them to, uh, to, to run away from the subject. So we do tend to get quite a few subject changes at the beginning of the year and people, oh, I can't do that, I don't want to do that and, and moving on and so I did want to make sure as you say that, that physics is possible for them and show them that so I haven't even given them an A-level standard question yet, I've given them lots of practice slop, shed loads of practice do like doing that so that they're building their confidence, you know, doing loads and loads and loads of the V equals IR calculations, things much as they would do, have done at uh, GCSE, but just thinking a little bit more deeply about what that means. And I'm quizzing them on things like, well, okay, so you know, when we say about the potential difference, what does that mean? How are the electrons different from that end of the component to that end of the component? What can you see that's different? Use the bike chain analogy quite a bit. You know, bike chains don't look different from the, the end that's got the, the side that's got the tension onto the side that doesn't. Uh, but, you know, that that's kind of the, the, the way I think of electricity and I try and encourage them to think. 
loads and loads of encouragement of thinking through that, using the models, being critical, all those sorts of things. So we, we are going slowly at the moment, but I, I will start to speed up. Definitely, you have to speed up. But I mean, I, I, when I did my assessment of the CPAC stuff, I asked every school I went to how many lessons they had a fortnight, and everyone had a lesson or two more than I had. And I always have enough time to teach it. So you, there's always enough time. You can always catch up by going fast in the second year. Now, I think you said in, in the green room, Ruth, that, that one of the problems you've been having is with the fact you're teaching mechanics and maths are also teaching mechanics. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so we're doing um, OCRA as a board, um, and because there's two teachers, we split the topic. So I'm doing the motion and forces um, module. Uh, So just started with distance time graphs, velocity time graphs, uh, CVAT equations, and they all just sat there and went, we've literally just come from maths doing exactly the same thing. And I've spoken to maths, and I'm trying to sort of work together with them, and I've got their scheme of work, and they are literally doing it all exactly in parallel over the next sort of month everything or newton's laws and everything it's a gift to you to show them how much better physics is because maths will just do it empirically with numbers and you've got experiments you can prove to them they've learned nothing in maths with the classic here is a ball drop it let it bounce three times draw for me please the displacement velocity and acceleration for that ball up to the third time it hits the table They'll be able to do SUVAT till the cows come home, but I reckon they won't be able to do that practical challenge. So you've got practicals on your side. Yeah, which is why I kind of brought the practical side of things sort of forward in the topic as well. I was going to spend a bit longer on distance time graphs and things, but I've actually kind of, I don't know, maybe whizzed through it a bit quickly and spent a bit of extra time with those who are not mathematicians going through it kind of on a, it was like a three or four of them, just went through separately and to get on to the practicals and show how it applies. Yeah, and can they show that SUVAC does work within their acceptable uncertainty? I would just go at it really hard practically. So another yeah. thing is, is quite nice is, is Firefox. I don't know if you've discovered this yet. This yes. is a, an app you can yes. put on I your phone. I use that a lot. Yeah, yeah. You've got it. That's good because <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, a practical element that can introduce a range of discussions in and it's funny when you said oh maths are just doing this with i i think you and thomas said it there you, you can then go okay then graphs of complex motion what does an aircraft look like taking off how would you you know how would you graph its acceleration how would those things look like uh, what, what yeah, the bouncing balls on the table is a classic because they they tend to make a bit of a pig's ear of this and our exam board asks lots of questions around those sorts of graphs what does the kinetic energy graph look like? What does the acceleration graph look like? What does the velocity time graph look like? And why does the speed time graph look different? All those sorts of things really push their understanding of how you're representing these things graphically and also gets them to think about the motion. Because those graphs, particularly the velocity time graph of a ball being thrown up in the air and caught again, is really counterintuitive. It's completely, I'd, I'd challenge any one of them to, to get that first time around because it's really, really hard. Um, but yet beautifully simple when it comes out, of course. So it's, it's a really nice way of challenging them on their SUVAT knowledge without uh, without them knowing about it, I guess. Yeah, that does sound really... I did an exercise today with like lots of um, like distance time and velocity time plots, and there's like a multiple choice, and they had to, they was given a scenario, and they had to choose which graph matched that scenario. Um, and did it like, you know, we're using their phones, like a, it was like a Kahoot kind of quiz, and that's all the scores were coming up, and they quite enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah the, the the typist book that James De Winter put us onto last year was brilliant for problems like that as well. It's really good. Yeah, it's a... graph aerobics as well. 
show me the shape of the graph and they literally have to stand up and put their arms out in the, in the shape <laughs> of the graph, you know, sort of mapping uh, uh, parabolas and, and all sorts. And uh, that's quite fun. The dear so, listener can't see Robin. We do this with the video feed now. Robin's out there acting out his graphs and yeah, yeah. <laughs> walk like an Egyptian. He's just yeah, imagined walk like an Egyptian. I've just switched over to voguing now. So that's <laughs> showing my age. So have you had to done any exciting practicals or demos with them apart from your uh, weird conducting mesh and your poppers? Um, no, well, I, I did uh, light gates uh, this afternoon and then I got them to set them up, but we spent probably three quarters of the lesson faffing around with retort stands and clamps, getting the light gates lined up, which I also said to them at the end of it, that's where the learning was, is to kind of see what can and can't do. That's a very good point, actually, because I, after years of wasting half the lesson on the G thing, they not they've all will have used light gates before we do the G because I do I use ramps and do acceleration with them. I now set up all the light gates before they come in with it above, so the clamp stand is vertical. I just take time to do that because that's not for me. The learning point is not can they line up two light gates one above the other. The learning point is can they gather the data. Can they analyze it and can they get a value for G in the time? I just think it's, I, I just don't care if they can line up two light gates in less than an hour. So I'm not interested in that. So it's good you've learned that. Yeah. I did, I did think about doing that, thinking, you know, shall I set them all up beforehand um, or shall I let them do it? And I did um and ah. And it was one of those things where I've probably been analyzing it in my head for about a week trying to work out how best to do it. And going, I could go that way, I could go that way. And yeah, and then got myself all tangled up. And <laughs> I suppose with four classes, you're trying hard to keep them in sync so that you can order that one set of equipment, get it set up and then do the same thing. It's just it's two year one and two uh, and two year two. So it's just yeah, it's twi- twice with the year ones. And then and then tomorrow I'm doing uh, the gas laws. I'm doing the gas laws uh, required practical with the year twos tomorrow. Because I have had that in the past. In my school, they used to have two classes of very small classes. And I got so confused trying to keep them in sync. I never tried after that. I always used to teach different modules to different groups just because then I can go at my own pace. And I don't think, oh, I've got to do G this week. But the other group are miles behind because we got sidetracked and went and talked about something else for two lessons. So, yeah, I, I just can't. I just... my way of working i just cannot keep two classes in sync and also i don't know if you've seen this had this robin you're teaching a lesson and you can't remember what you said whether you said something to that class or the other class and then that i find that really discombobulating so i just i just never keep them in sync so i got my i had my first sort of moment of moment of woe this week when i was uh, doing working through a worked example, uh, so a SUVAT worked example with, and I said, "Well, we looked at this last week, and then halfway through, going to worked example, realised that was with the other class and not this class, and then I got myself all in a bit of a, all in a bit of a faff, and I kind of made a mistake on the board, and it was kind of like the I want the world to swallow me up right now kind of moment." Made yeah. a mistake on the board. <laughs> Robin and I have never done that. We'd never, never do that. You'd never. never catch us doing that. Mainly because I'm too scared to write on the board after going through experiences like that in my first year of teaching. I get them to do it. Get up there and like, prove this. So anyway, yeah, but it, it, I, I completely take the point. There's, there's two things I think that, that every teacher knows after they talk for a bit. First of all is that uh, if there's days off timetable, 
you know, trips and visits, all these things, if they only ever hit one of your teaching groups every single time <laughs> so that you're going to get one teaching group that gets about a third less lessons than the other ones. That's, that's, that's rule number one. And secondly, as soon as you stand up in front of a whiteboard, your brain just turns into jelly and anything you thought you remembered, even if it's the simplest of calculations, you will get it wrong. <laughs> so those two things i don't know thomas if you agree but that, that's I, I make i totally agree usually it's the class that you have on a monday you use a lot lose a lot of mondays but i totally agree with the making mistakes i make a lot of mistakes and i, I say to the kids the first time i make them say oh there we go another mistake not deliberate i said because if i made a deliberate mistake i'd look so gleeful you'd all guess i just heard all mistakes are real and i make many every many many mistakes many mistakes so many mistakes you know you have a mind blank about even spelling a word, like I'm sp- I'm spelling momentum or something like that, and I suddenly, oh, I'm suddenly having a mind blank. I can't spell it. How do you spell momentum? <laughs> that sort of thing. I just can't think. How do you spell the? Yeah, I did it with my, my year 11 class. The other Year 11, by the way, the, the year before they turn into ones that you'll teach. But um, the, the year 11 ones, they, uh, I was doing uh, uh, Newton's Laws, and, said, and that's the acceleration. And, of course, it's, you know, 0.25 kilograms. <laughs> and the thing that really upset me was that not a single one of them pulled me up on it. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Th- that is frustrating, <laughs> is it, when you make a really glaring error and they don't point it out. And it is nice when they have the confidence to point it out. And minor, you know, by A2, they will go, you know, sir, do you really mean that? <laughs> no, actually, you'll find I don't mean that at all. <laughs> Oh, Ruth, um, we, we, we've had a great chat there. Enjoyed talking to you. you know, maybe we'll get you back in a few months and you can, you can talk us through your first six months and see if you're still smiling. Because you certainly be smiling today. Yeah, I think I definitely had a recovery today. Because yesterday, I was thinking yesterday when I got your message about doing this, I was like, you really don't want to talk to me today. Because <laughs> I'd had like this crash and burn moment. So I was going, you really don't want to talk to me. But then I had a bit of a recovery today and they all left happy today that they've got their light gates working um, and they, they were managing to calculate velocities and things. So that was enough for, for the lesson today. And then we'll do some more actual thinking about it next week. And they'll be feeling like A-level students because they've been let loose on light gates by themselves without having the teacher demoing it. Yeah. And I just gave them instructions for the software and said, work through it. Off you go. So it's a kind of a, a practice in following instructions Great. as well. Really good. Well, excellent, Ruth. Thank you very, very much for coming on. Uh, we'll hopefully be in touch in six months, see how you're getting on. If we can, if we remember, in fact, in fact, get in touch with us and remind us in six months, and we'll have you on. That's probably more like. Yeah, don't worry. I'm pestering you on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming back on the podcast, Ruth. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you very much, then. It's just really lovely, isn't it, to hear someone who's clearly enjoying their practice so much, enjoying meeting her kids, working with them, learning how to teach physics, you know, exploring new ways of doing it. It's just fabulous, isn't it? Really good to see. It is, and she clearly is having a good time. And what is also nice is to be reminded of how difficult it is at the start. When you make those early mistakes and you feel so vulnerable, made a few over the years, and I'm used to it now, but it, it was... It was so nice. She's so positive, and and yeah, he had a bad day yesterday, and is feeling better today, and is enjoying meeting the kids. Yeah, as you say, it's it's refreshing, and it's great to hear she's doing all those practical things, and she's got the light gates out already, and getting stuck into it. Really, really positive. It's great to know there's more unicorns being born every year, Robin. Absolutely, it's good to know. I was just thinking actually when you were saying that that. that you don't get away from the imposter syndrome later in life. And I mean, I have stretches of lessons, particularly now I've taken on this new job where I, I don't get as much preparation and planning time as I would like. So, you know, lessons do go south from time to time. And it does make me feel, oh, when the shoulders drop. I mean, I've got 
kind of almost, I guess, instinctive reactions to how to handle that there. And they're often counterintuitive. But I, I was wondering, do, do you still have that? Do you still get the same thing every now and again? I have imposter syndrome every time I teach various topics like particles I'm, I struggle with. I'm much better now. Um, I struggle with some of thermal I get a bit confused about. Some of engineering, even as an engineer, because I never, I, I'm a pretend engineer. So when I teach engineering topic, if we have that as an optional unit, I find that quite hard. But I'm always honest with women. I always say to them, I find this really hard. And I struggle with this. And like yesterday, I was doing, just doing the notes on internal energy. And I've always, you know, I've never felt I've covered that particularly well. I said, look, I feel I never covered this bit too well. So I'm actually going to have the spec up here and I'm going to tell you what's in the spec, but you should really check. So I just went through the spec using the spec terminology and we talked about internal energy as kinetic energy and we talked about what the potential energy was, but that was all driven by the spec. So I felt that I was covering it. So yeah, I do all the time. The stuff I'm familiar with, no, I just, I don't like, I don't do any preparation, just walk in, look in the tray, see what I've ordered and set off. Usually I'm right. Yeah. Well, my, my trouble is control freakery is basically when, when things start to slip a bit, I tend to think, oh, no, I've got to control. And actually, the opposite is true. And I think it's what you said there about uh, explaining to them, being honest with them, and then letting them get on with it to a certain extent. So there's a lot of merit in, in letting them have their head. And Ruth said this during uh, her time as well, letting them have their head with the light gates, letting them have their head with the equipment and just coaching them in how to be an A-level physicist. And as you said so rightly, that basically they'll have loved the fact that they set up the light gates and they felt good about it, and even though it took them a ridiculously long amount of time and you're sitting there with one eye on the clock and thinking about the, the spec points piling up, they, they'll have got a real buzz and a real sense of confidence out of it. So it's, it's, that's, my, I guess, my piece of advice to myself off the back of this is, is pry your claws off it let it go uh, and let them take control of it a little bit more. It takes the pressure off you a bit. It also makes them better physicists. Yeah, and I think we, we, it goes back to what we were saying last month uh, about training them to be able physicists. I was doing finding the mass of a ruler using a 100-gram mass. I told them how to do it, and I said, and what will happen now in the normal scheme of things is I will stop talking, and you will sit there looking nervous, and no one will start. And you will take time through your results table because that's what I've told you to do. And then you'll all sit there. I said, and... You need to be brave. I'm not going to help. From that moment on, you are on your own. So they, you know, they, you know, some of them did a trial run to see what range they should use. Some of them just went into it. And that was all the learning experience that we could talk about later. Some people took five, only five data points, and they had massive uncertainty at the end. Because you can imagine the, the steepest and shallowest lines of best fit were very displayed. And that was a really good teaching point. And it was great watching them figure it out. But it is, you have to teach them. You really have to explicitly teach them to do that and, and let them go. <laughs> set them free, Robin. Set, if you love them, set them free. If you love them, set them I feel a song coming on, which probably means it's a good time to wrap up. Yes. It? <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you again, Robin. Uh, I think this monthly thing works for me. I hope it works for you. Absolutely. Well, happy Halloween, and I'll catch you in November. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Physics Teaching Podcast and special thanks this week to Ruth Chesman. The podcast is presented by Robin Griffiths and me, Thomas WP, and produced and edited by me, with Robin doing the show notes. Thanks, Robin. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you next month. Mm-hmm.